0: We are continuing our series, looking at passages from the scripture that illuminate the confession of faith that we confess uh, most regularly, the Apostles' Creed. And, and this is a creed that's been confessed for centuries by the church, and, and that uh, many churches across many denominations would say, this, this is core to what we believe. And we're in our second week uh, in the section on looking at who Jesus is, and but this idea of the fact that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And this might be something, a, a, a particular aspect that you're either like, yep, and you've thought a lot about it, or haven't thought that much about it, or I'm not so sure about this. And if you're visiting with this, you might think that it would be even weird to believe something like this. And it is, to be clear, out of the ordinary. This, this question, though, of what we think about this, and what we think about Jesus is something that we come together every week and to, to talk about and to look at the scripture to see how Jesus has revealed himself. And, and the word of God is uh, this revelation that God has given us of himself. And this is our foundation so that we don't come to this idea of Jesus and create him as we think he should be created uh, to pick up on a theme from last week and an illustration that I've used before, but wasn't mentioned uh, as one that I've uh, used before. Uh, in some of our celebrations for our anniversary last week. It's uh, Talladega Nights. You may have seen Talladega Nights. It's a movie with Will Ferrell. He plays Ricky Bobby, a NASCAR driver. Uh, and he is, is praying. They, they call it grace before the meal. He's there with his family, his wife, and two sons, and his father-in-law, and Cal Malton Jr., his best friend, and other NASCAR driver. And he starts and he prays again and again to baby Jesus, infant Jesus, and and there's objection. Wait, well, he was a man, and he had a beard, right? And then this whole conversation ensues, and uh, one of the sons, uh, whether it's Walker or Texas Ranger, they say, um, I like to picture Jesus as a, uh, as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. And then Cal Naughton Jr. says, well, I like to picture Jesus with a tuxedo shirt, because he's formal, but Jesus likes to party, right? And he goes on, he's got more ideas, I like to picture Jesus with... Big eagle's wings, and he's lead singer for Leonard Skinner. And he's got an angel band behind him, and uh, and and uh, Ricky Bobby's like, "Nope, I like I like infant Jesus." And he, he goes on to pray, dear eight pound infant Jesus in your golden fleece. Like, this focus on wait, how do we like to think about Jesus? And and maybe even now hearing it or watching it, you know, it feels a little awkward. Is it, uh, is it? You know, is it? Wrong to light, it's a hilarious scene. Uh, it, it is, it's absurd. Like the conversation is absurd, right? Uh, and, and that's where the humor comes in. But the reality is, we do this all the time that, well, I like to picture Jesus and we can fill in the blank, right? And it might come to this in, in a much, uh, this picture of Jesus. And, you know, I, I like to not really e- either think about the virgin birth or like I, that part doesn't fit, right? Well, there's a reason that one, it's in the creed, it's because it's in the scripture. And the scripture, God's revelation of himself, tells us that this is a really significant thing. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is, is pretty crucial and central to who Jesus is, and that, and that it matters for us. It is this picture of what we call the incarnation, and here we are talking about the incarnation, birth of Jesus, not at Christmas time. But it is central all the time. It is, uh, and as we look at this, we're going to see the what, the how, and the why. Those are the three points this morning. The what, the how, and the why of this conception and born of the virgin. So let me pray for us. Lord, open our hearts and minds to the truth of who you are. That we might encounter you in a deep and powerful way. And that you would shape us and change us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So what? What, what, what's the, what is happening here? What is it, the description of both the, the creed saying conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary? What is, what is Luke saying about Jesus as he tells us this story about the angel showing up to Mary and foretelling the birth of Jesus? What is being communicated here? And we all know it's the hypostatic union, right? That's the answer we would all give. We, you know, there, There's some sense in which you, you, know, you, go to, you get a master's degree, so you go to seminary and you, you learn words because that's what you do as a part of a higher education. But there's also a sense in which a, a word can be helpful because this isn't something that we normally talk about. We don't talk about, there's no other context, in fact, in which we talk about this reality of the divine nature This is what the hypostatic union is a reference to, the divine nature being joined with uh, human nature. The divine, infinite nature of God being united to the finite human nature of a man. It is this miraculous thing that is described here. And we find within this that Jesus is again and again described as fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. That is the hypostatic union. That is the incarnation. That is who Jesus was, is the one conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He's described as God here. The son of the most high, verse 32. Verse 33, this this picture of him being the eternal king to to follow in the the line of David, to take over his throne, his kingdom, and, and to be in that position for eternity. There will be no end to his kingdom. This is a picture of who God is. And this picture of the fact that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and not by a human man is is central to that reality. To God in his Godship, in his divinity, being the one responsible for Jesus. This is who he is as God. And so the virgin birth matters here. It is prophesied in Isaiah seven verse 14, this prophecy of the virgin that will give birth, that particular passage is also referenced in Matthew 1, verse 23, as Jesus being a fulfillment of that prophecy from centuries and centuries before. Now, to be clear, this story is not just one that was a myth made up, or one that was easily believed by these rubes in the first century, as though they didn't know how babies were born. Uh, you know, we often have what we think of or talk about as chronological snobbery, so we think we've got it all figured out, and, and people back then, like they're, they're, they're dummies, that they would believe these kinds of things, right? I mean, clearly, Mary is struggling with that. She herself is like, verse 34, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And We can imagine it probably wouldn't have felt as formal and rigid as that. I mean, it would have been like, wait, 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 what? Uh, that's not how this works. I know this isn't how that works. And, and I'm a virgin. She very clearly understood what it meant to be a virgin and uh, the implications of that and having a child. So she asked this questions. That's not the way this works. What is going on? And so then there is the promise of the Holy Spirit uh, working in such a way to bring about this birth. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore a child will be born. There's a picture here, actually, of creation, of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit of God hovering uh, over the depths in Genesis 1. And, And we think about, and we see again and again, this correlation between creation and recreation, John 1, talking about in the beginning. And and that's a clear reference to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was a picture of the recreation through Jesus, who became a man, John 1, 14, that this is something that God is doing in all of his power. The Holy Spirit brings about this birth. He's fully God, but he was also fully human, fully human. So not just God... uh, that was in this, in this position of coming and representing himself among human beings. So he's fully human. He was not only conceived by the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary, Mary's child. He grows in her womb for nine months, born very much, uh, not conceived in the normal way, but born in the normal way. There was an umbilical cord, there was all of the mess of, of birth. They, they, you know, the Bible doesn't go into all the details, but all of that is hundred percent assumed. That's the way that when, when you write stories of history, you don't go into all the details, but those those normal details are are absolutely assumed. And and we, we recognize that there's a, there are traditions within the church that have put Mary in this position of co-savior or the one who extends grace to God's people. We don't find that in Scripture. We don't find that certainly here. There's no picture of her being a perpetual virgin. Actually, Matthew 1, verse 25 is, is addressing Joseph, and a, a Joseph also knowing how things work had to have an angel show up to him and say, this is what's going on. Holy Spirit, is at work? We can understand that, right? So there were questions, and, and they were dealing with them as well. Was it just something, oh, yeah, that's, that's how things work now. So in that moment, he says, it says that Joseph, Matthew 1, 25, knew her not until... She had given birth to a son, and they're referenced to her kids later. So there's not something like, uh, she, she has this amazing, amazing, unimaginable role to play, but she is a receiver of grace herself. She receives grace, verse 30, this idea of finding favor with God, verse 30, that is the Greek word charis, which is most often translated as grace. She receives the grace of God. She, in verse 38, then says, let it be according to your word. She just trusts in and relies upon the grace of God, she has received this, not because of anything. There's no indication that that Mary is like, oh, she's the best, and so she gets this role. No, it's God deciding to work and just demonstrate his love to her by putting her in this favored position because this is what God chose to do. She is one who receives grace, not one who dispenses it. And so, and yet, and yet, it is incredibly significant let's not downplay her role as a result of, of of those that would play her role up too much and put her in the level of co-savior uh, pray to her and look for grace from her no she played a significant role by carrying jesus determined delivering this child that she was that jesus was born of mary there are all kinds of really amazing beautiful implications here this flies in the face of Gnosticism, this idea that the sacred and the secular are separate. Even that idea that the, the fact that for Mary to be really holy, she would need to be a virgin her whole life because the, the physical world is dirty and wrong, right? Or, or that, that Jesus would need to be separated from that and, and being uh, even born in the normal way, right? Like, it's a little scandalous to think about that or to think about him being a toddler and all of the just functions of human beings that we... You know, won't talk about, that I won't list because it's awkward, right? Or the things that would happen uh, to any child in puberty and all of these things. Like Jesus went through all these things. There's this affirmation of the physical world. And Jesus embraces it by, by becoming an actual human being and, and recognizing that there is value there. It's not something for God himself even to, to avoid, to, to run from. He went through all the normal things and I'm sure there were moments where he had pimples or was sweaty and smelled bad and all of those things, right? It's this affirmation of us who are created in his image as physical beings, that we are experienced by one another and by God in all of our physicality and all of our limitations as well. That's not a bad thing to, to live in the limits that we have as physical beings, and to recognize that's part of who we are. And there is absolutely then a connection to the spiritual in the midst of that. There's some really good, helpful implications for thinking about Jesus being born of Mary. And that connection to all of us in the midst of that. Those of us, all of us, as human beings created in the image of God. And so we rejoice in this physical world and who God made us to be in the midst of it, to recognize that it's good. So Jesus, fully God, fully man, hypostatic union. Wait, how does that happen? I I do think it would, you know, it's appropriate to say that this is is a mystery. Or even for for many, this is a reason to think that Christians are crazy, to, to believe this, right? Now, let's be clear, as we come together every Sunday in worship, we're talking about supernatural things in, in the world. And, and it's appropriate in the midst of that to ask questions, to to be honest about the doubts that we may have. And virgin birth is often one that people are like, oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, all the scientists would say uh, that this, nobody believes this, um, that it doesn't happen this way. And and the writers of scripture, the, the ones who experienced it would have, again, they knew how things work. It wasn't like, oh, you know, we're just making up things and it doesn't really matter. And we don't really understand the way things work, right? It, the reality is there's something happening here outside of the natural world. There's something happened that is supernatural. That's, that's a part of why we gather on Sundays because we believe there's, uh, there's a supernatural work that is happening in this world. It's a part of the story of creation, even how it began and how it continues, I do think if you have real questions here there's some really there are lots of really helpful resources I mean whole books written about these things, but uh, just two shorter resources if you 're uh, curious is both uh, Tim Keller in his book Reason for God and Rebecca McLaughlin in her book Confronting Christianity have really good chapters, each of them have a really good chapter on science and faith and the way those things fit together. One of the things that Rebecca McLaughlin does is she she has a really long list of really well-respected, accomplished scientists that actually do believe these things, right? And have have reason to believe that. And uh, and one of them quotes Alvin Plantiga, who was for almost 30 years a philosophy professor at, uh, philosopher at Notre Dame. Uh, And he talks about the fact that science is created by Christians, by the way, a, a discipline started by Christians, quite some number of years ago, uh, to study the natural world, to study the world, the ordered world that God created and gave us. But it's not designed by its very nature to study the supernatural world. And so Plantica describes it uh, as uh, a, a drunk guy who's lost his keys looking under the lamplight. The street lamp is shining down. Well, this is where I can see, and so this is where I'm going to look. I can't see where the lamp's not, so I'm, I, I need to look here where the light is though chances are his keys might be elsewhere. And using science to say, well, I I can't use science to to find the supernatural. It's not designed to find the supernatural or explain it. There's a lot more that could be said there. I I encourage you, if you you have questions here, look at those resources. I'd be happy to talk with you. Um, But there is this reminder that the story of Scripture and of God at work is one of something much bigger happening. And we talked last week, it's really fascinating to me that that people have less issue with, it's it's not brought up as much as a a reason to doubt, the, the fact that there is a creator God, right? So we talked about this last week. Jesus, Colossians 1 reminds us, all things, all things were created by him and through him and for him. God is described as the creator from Genesis 1, all the way through scripture, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, Psalm 19, among many other psalms. Uh, Jesus is, God is, the Trinitarian God is the creator. And if, there, if, if, if we would believe, if we would say, yes, I believe there was a creator God. There's one who, by the word of his mouth, spoke creation, the heavens and the earth into being. It's not really much of a jump to say that that God... Could then manipulate the natural world that he could then do as he chooses and decide to work in such a way that would bring about Jesus living in this world as fully God and fully man, virgin birth. However, he might do that. It's if, if we believe in that Creator God, it's not a jump to believe this. The angel then reminds Mary, who has these questions: "Wait, how can this be?" That. That very reality is at work here for verse 37 says nothing is impossible with God. He is God most high, verse 32, and nothing is impossible with him. He is able to do these powerful supernatural things because he is the supernatural. He is the creator and the the, uh, creed that we've been looking at has we've talked about that multiple times, in fact. We're building on that reality. So then the last question then is why? Why, why, why is this necessary? Why, why does he do this? What, what difference does it make? And the ultimate description here, the, the ultimate reason is to be with us. This is the story that we talk about always. Creation, fall, redemption, glorification, the story of all of the Bible tells us a story about a God who wants relationship with his people. God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden. The cool of the day in the garden. He walks with them. He has a relationship with them. And then when the fall comes in, there's this broken relationship. And ever, from from that point forward, God is working to provide connection to him. And the people of God miss it again and again and again and again. We we talked about this as we uh, looked at Leviticus and all of those laws, right? They're given so that God might be in relationship with his people. He is Yahweh. I will be your God and you will be my people. He wants relationship with his people. This is, he is, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, the Trinitarian God, meaning by very nature, he is a relational God. He wants relationship. And so the incarnation, him entering into our world in all of its mess and all of its earthiness and all of the brokenness, it's so that he might be with us that he might be in relationship with us. And as God, fully God, it's so that he might have the power to save. And we're moving, we know, toward the table that we're going to celebrate in a moment. Jesus' body, this reminder that his body was broken, that his blood was poured out, that he was the sacrifice so that we might have that gap between us and him, that gap between what's wrong in this world and what what we were created for, that, that gap bridged through the death of Jesus Christ, and then his resurrection that has power over death, that all of that is where Jesus is headed in the incarnation. coming, holy God, holy man, fully that is, fully God and fully man. is so that he could, in his power as God, live a perfect life. And in his role as a human being, actually be a substitute for us on the cross. He does this for you and for me, so that we might have relationship with him. And, and this is the picture that we find here, this just miraculous picture of Mary carrying in her womb Jesus Christ for nine months. Jesus Christ in Mary for nine months. That is miraculous. It's hard to get our minds around. God himself. And, and, and that idea, again, part of it, the earthiness of it, like, wait, what? That feels a, a little odd. But, but it points to something that is true for all of us. This, what, what the Bible talks about is union with Christ. This connection that we have with him and he with us. Actually, 165 times in the New Testament. 165. There's either the description of us in Christ or Christ in us. And yet yeah, it's not in the same way that Mary experienced it. But there is this promise of, of union of connection, of a God who wants to be in relationship with his people. And we know that this is how real relationship works, right? And one of the things that uh, I love about Fountain Square Prez, and this is true if you live in the neighborhood or don't live in the neighborhood, is is that sometimes that proximity allows us to see one another regularly, even just being in a community group and seeing folks regularly, or knowing that some of you guys do Sunday night dinners like the, the idea of seeing each other, right? That, that's presence, right? And presence is necessary for relationship. You know, we, 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 we long to be in relationship, and when we're in relationship, we want to be present with other people. I think about, about my oldest, who is now engaged to be married, and yet she lives in. Uh, outside of Chattanooga, while she finishes her senior year of school, and Quinn, her fiance, lives in Indy, and that's a tension that they, they miss each other. They want to be together, right? Rightly so. And so they talk about the next time they're going to see each other, and they're all and they're looking forward to that time when they'll actually be married. And I, I remember one of the thinking about one of the great benefits of getting married was that uh, at, at the end of the date, uh, at the end of the night, that uh, I didn't have to go home, right? I got to. Uh, just be present with Stephanie. That was that reality of presence. When we're in relationship with one another, we want the presence of those that we're in relationship with. That's where real relationship happens. And the incarnation is just the beginning of that picture of a God who wants relationship with us. Who wants us to be in relationship with him, to experience His presence. And there's absolutely something mysterious and spiritual at work there. And He's invited us into that mysterious spiritual work so that we could experience Him. This is the one who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, in order that we might be in relationship with Him because of the work that He accomplished and the offer that He gives us of relationship with Him. That God who says, I will be with them as their God, and they will be my people. Let's pray.